Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today I'm bringing you a special bonus episode with Faith Brooks. Faith is an anti-racism educator. She's the director of programming at Be The Bridge. Be The Bridge empowers people and culture toward racial healing, equity, and reconciliation. I recently read the book, Be The Bridge, written by Latasha Morrison, which, by the way, just became a New York Times bestseller. So congratulations, Latasha. And I knew I wanted to talk with someone in more depth about this book. In this episode, Faith and I discuss what racial reconciliation really looks like and the steps necessary to take in getting there. This is not just a movement, but a lifestyle to be adapted. Okay, this podcast is aired over on the Illuminate podcast, which is a podcast that is in my podcast network, Sandy Boy Productions, and I am a co-host of that podcast. So I'm just going to go ahead and let it play here as is how I aired it on the Illuminate feed. That way you can get a feel of what the Illuminate podcast is all about in the first place. So then on Friday, as usual, I'll be putting out an episode with someone in the running community. I am so excited about this episode as well. It is with the legendary race director, Lazarus Lake. Have you ever heard of the Barkley Marathon? Okay, well, I had the opportunity to interview the race director. He's also the race director of Big's Backyard Ultra, which you've probably heard me talk about on this podcast as well. So that's going to air on Friday in this feed. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Faith Brooks. This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and you're listening to episode 42. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Faith Brooks. Faith is the director of programs for Be The Bridge. Be The Bridge empowers people and culture toward racial healing, equity, and reconciliation. I recently started following Faith on social media and listening to her podcast, Melanated Faith, and I'm so honored and excited to have her on the show. She's been doing some really great work, and I mentioned this to her in the episode, but I just feel like I see her just plunging into this career that she was made for. Faith is an activist. She's a writer. She's a creative strategist, a world traveler. She has her master's in social work. She hosts the podcast, Melanated Faith, and she is doing what she is meant to do. If you see her speak on a stage, I witnessed this just from Instagram Live, seeing her speak at a protest, and I thought, man, she was made for this. And then I read her Instagram post where she said the same thing, that she was meant to do this work. And it is so exciting to see her just blossom and speak into the lives of people about racial reconciliation. There's no excuse for racism, and Faith goes in-depth in this conversation to talk about what fighting racism actually looks like. You guys can learn more about Faith uh, 
go over to her Instagram account, actually. She's so great over on Instagram. She's Faith B, F-A-I-T-T-H-B over there. And you can find more information about Faith over on her website, faithbrooks.com. And that's Faith with two T's. You can also learn more about Be The Bridge. We discussed the book, Be The Bridge, written by Latasha Morrison in this episode in depth. Just go to bethebridge.com. All right, friends. Thank you for being here. If this episode moves you, please consider sharing it with your friends. I think the more people we can have listening to conversations like this, the more good work will be done towards fighting racism in this country. Enjoy my conversation with Faith Brooks. All right. Well, today on the podcast, I'm airing this episode on both All Have Another and the Illuminate podcast. And I'm so honored to welcome Faith Brooks to the show. Welcome to the podcast, Faith. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. I started following you on Instagram recently. You probably have quite a few new followers right now. Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) Quite a few. (laughs) And I also started listening to your podcast and that you do with Catherine, Melanated Faith, and I am loving it. So thank you so much for putting that awesome content out. Thank you. I'm so glad people are listening to it. I swear probably like two weeks ago, maybe like 100 people heard it. And so um, I'm so excited that so many people are listening to it and enjoying it. And um, we actually have been on a break and we're getting ready to start recording season two. But it's so fun to like see people go back and listen to our episodes and enjoy like what we had already put out in the world, which is actually so perfect for the moment that we're in. So it's been fun. Yeah, I started with the episode, I think it's called I Can't Live right now. Is that what it's called? Yes, it's Can I Live. Oh, Can I Live, yes. So I started with Can I Live, and then I started reading Be the Bridge, Latasha Morrison's book, and realized, and I I didn't even realize this when I listened to the first episode, that you guys literally do a breakdown of every chapter of that book. And so as I read the book, I would then go listen. I would like mow the lawn or do laundry or whatever and listen to your breakdown, which was super helpful in me understanding deeper what Latasha was saying in the book. So you guys did a great job with that. Thank you so much. We wanted it to be something interactive for people, but something really quick that you can listen to and just have kind of like an inside peek into some of the conversations that we have and have been having. And um, I'm glad that it helps like add context to the book. And and our hope was that it would also like spark more people to invite their friends to get the book and have conversations um, about what um, Latasha is discussing in the Be the Bridge book, which is such a fun read. Yeah, I think what I loved so much about the discussion is that you guys brought in pieces of your own lives, like growing up and your day-to-day life and how that related to things she was talking about. So let's get to know Faith before we kind of dig into what Be the Bridge does. Faith is the director of programs there. Um, But can you just kind of share with us a little bit um, what your life was like growing up and how you were led to this work with Be the Bridge? Yeah. So I'm um, growing up. I um, have an amazing family, my mom, my dad, and my brother, and we were homeschooled. So being homeschooled as a black kid was not very popular um, when I was growing up. And so you might have in homeschool settings seen one or two black families um, at a time in those environments. And so I quickly learned how to kind of 
straddle between two environments, your environments where you're in predominantly like black um, communities of friends. And then when you're one of few in predominantly white groups of, of friends. And so it really kind of started this journey for me of, of kind of understanding how to maneuver between the two worlds. But it also like sparked a struggle in me internally where I felt like I had to assimilate in order to fit in when I was younger and um, feeling like I couldn't show up as my full self as a black woman or at that time a kid, but as a black girl and, and be accepted. So that kind of had um, like just like this little like spark on the inside of me that I knew that I wanted to be able to talk about and address these things one day and feel proud of showing up as my whole self in environments and not feeling like I had to make a choice, right? Because who I was showing up as myself fully was with my family and my friends and when I was in community with my black friends. And so Throughout college, whenever I reached college, I really experienced some negative racist interactions um, when I went to a private um, school, and it was a more conservative school. And that really started to spark me to start reading more and getting language for what I was experiencing and um, finding community where I just met some really great black women that I could start to connect with and really kind of shift my friend group into um, it having more black people that were also in the justice space and people who could kind of understand where I came from being raised in, you know, a middle class household, but then also having these like interesting experiences where it feels like you, you have to choose or, or not show up as your full self in order to fit into what people want you to be this bubble people want you to be in, especially if you're a Christian, right? There was these like expectations and unsaid things you could say or not say and talking about race or talking about, um, our, you know, political system and how, you know, systemic racism exists. Like those are just such taboo things that you are not supposed to say that you are not supposed to talk about. And so in some ways, like I think it started for me in college starting to feel like am I being like silenced because I can't speak about this um, without being shunned from this this community of people. And so I came away from college really determined to A, not be silenced and B, to find my way um, in this path of like truth and justice and communicating what I felt in my heart um, I, I needed to communicate, which is that we like God is desire for all of us is for us to be able to show up as, as our full selves. Like I don't have to diminish who I am as a black woman to to fit into any kind of um friend group or anything like I should be able to be my full self and advocate for justice. And, um, and that's what I wanted. And that's really the community I ended up finding and creating. And, and on along that pathway, I was, um, introduced to Latasha when I moved to Austin and we became friends and she became like a big sister to me. And I started volunteering with be the bridge and just helping out with whatever. And, um, over the years, just got more and more and more involved until I ended up getting hired last year full time to work with her um, with Be the Bridge, which has been fun. So it's been cool to be on the ground floor of of seeing something um, come up from just a Facebook group and conversations that she had into what um, she's been able to build now with Be the Bridge. So it's been quite the journey for me personally, but um, I feel the most free I've ever felt, um, you know, in these last few years of my life, because I've allowed myself to have these hard conversations, but to show up as my full self and not diminish it. 
Wow, that's so powerful. Has your relationship with your people you grew up with and friends and family, has has that changed since you've grown into what you just described as this freedom? Um, I would say that the friends that I have, specifically some of the white friends that I grew up with, they I've always been a leader and like always been kind of like a trailblazer of sorts. So those things were not off the beaten path for me. I think if anything, I've tried to show up and hopefully in a way like, you know, create a space where my friends could either come alongside and and learn, which most of them have. Um, And the ones that haven't, we just, you know, our relationship shifted and changed and we probably aren't really as close of friends anymore. Um, But there are a small group of people that I've known since I was younger and a kid who have leaned in to ask questions Mm -hmm. and to want to have this conversation. And we have kept a relationship. And so um, it's one one of those things where I knew I would lose friends and I was okay with that. Um, I gained so many more. Like I gained so many more friends and community. And um, so I counted my losses and I was really okay with them because – I've been able to be around people that I know care about me and care about my humanity. And I don't want to be friends with people who don't care about my humanity anyways. And so it's um, been such a beautiful journey to also see my friends come alive and wake up and ask questions and say, oh, wow, like, you know, I, I'm learning some things like I need to make some adjustments or like I do need to read these books you're suggesting to read. And so that has been really encouraging for me to see. Um to see that happening. Um, but it's been even more encouraging the fact that I've been able to find community of close friends who are in this work with me and I don't feel alone in it. And so that has been something to where I, I hope that other people who might not have that find that, you know, you talked about, uh, you don't want to be friends with someone who doesn't care about your humanity. And it's, it's so crazy right now that the, it feels like, that our country is waking up right now. And this has been happening all along. And so when you talk about your humanity and um, you know those friends that, that have watched this happen this whole time, but people are just now, I mean, th- have you seen, have you ever seen anything like this? Like all these people speaking up on social media and tell me what, how that makes you feel as a black woman. I would say that I haven't seen such a groundswell like this, Mm -hmm. this moment. And a lot of other leaders, you know, I've talked to who um, are leading in this work as well, have have talked about how there's something significant happening right now. We don't fully grasp what it is, but it feels different. And I think um, it gives me hope. It really does give me hope that people are ready to make a change and it's not going to be everyone, but there is a good group of people, like a good sum of people who are collectively at this point of saying, you know what? Like racism is wrong. Like we need to deal with it. We need to address it. We need to talk about this. We need to like, we need to ask ourselves, why are we still having this conversation in 2020? And I think um, the other thing is that, you know, a lot more people are at a place to where they're saying, I'm tired of hearing people say, well, I mean, we know about racism, but like, there's no more buts. And I hear a lot more people saying that, you know, 
putting like a, like a stake in the ground. Like either you care about the life of somebody else, you either you care that people are being, you know, attacked and, and, you know, treated differently for the color of their skin or you don't. And I think that there hasn't necessarily been such a distinct line that so many people can see. And now people are asking themselves, wait a minute, like, what is it I've bought into? Yeah. I think a lot about our parents' generation. Um, and I feel like they lived through big progress and now, and then they kind of got con- like complacent with that and that there's been progress, but it's like, wait a minute. No, this is still happening. And it's been happening the whole time. And then, and people think that since they don't commit racist acts, that they're not involved. They don't need to involve themselves. And that's just simply not true. And that is one of the things that Be the Bridge just so deeply spoke to me because, you know, I've gone my whole life like raised to believe that everybody's equal. But I, I, I just was blind. I've been blind, even though I know that these things have been wrong all along, um, the police brutality. But I, I, I still have been quiet and it's it's embarrassing and it's shameful. And that's one of the things that the book really talks about is um, recognizing that, recognizing what has been happening all along and recognizing that I have been quiet and that, you know, and so I would love Faith to kind of walk through a couple of those steps and, and be the bridge, if you don't mind, the um, kind of starting with recognizing the truth that's been happening all along. And then, and then where do we go from there? Mm-hmm. I think one of the most interesting things when you come to this, like this point of awakening, we talk a lot about it um, and be the bridge is kind of like acknowledging, right? You can't, you can't really address an issue if you don't acknowledge it. And I, that's just like basic common sense. When we're talking about issues, you do that at work with your kids, with your spouse, like whatever that looks like you, if there's a problem, you have to acknowledge that there's a problem. And then from there, find the pathway to address it. And it's kind of like a lot of people are at this place where they're saying, oh, there's a problem. Okay. And starting to acknowledge that there's a problem. And with the acknowledgement that there is a problem in this country, now we are getting to a place to where, because I know we're like a week and a half, two weeks in and everybody's tired. And it's like, we're sick of talking about race. I just want to post whatever I want to post. And I don't want to feel like I'm being told I'm a bad white person and, you know, all these Mm -hmm. things. And it's not about that. I mean, I hope people hear that. It's not about saying, oh, you know, this is all white people's fault. That's not what it is. But this is a call to a collective acknowledgement from everyone in this country, every single person, that racism is a problem. And now we all need to get to a place of acknowledging that so we can collectively move forward and talk about what do we do from here? Like, what's next? We can't just stay here. And um, I think we've stayed in this kind of like cloud of of not fully acknowledging what we're dealing with. We kind of like swept it under the rug and acted like, oh, we're good now. We're good now. We're fine. Like, like you were saying, we've made some progress. So there's nothing else to discuss. But now we're saying, no, we're putting this back on the table. There is something to discuss. Let's acknowledge it. And so once you move from that, you know, place of acknowledgement, well, it's kind of like it's time to do some work. And that's where you kind of lose some people because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, I guess, yeah, we want to treat people right. You know, like we want to, we want to be, you know, aware of these things, but like what, 
I don't feel like I need to necessarily do anything because I haven't done anything to anyone. I didn't, I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't a slave master that, that might've been generations ago. That's not me, Mm -hmm. but we have to start addressing like, Hey, there is a actual system. There is a system when we talk about systemic racism that unfortunately is set up to benefit people, one group of people over, you know, other groups of people simply for the color of their skin. And it's kind of like once we get to that bubbling over of seeing like there's actual history that you haven't been taught that hasn't been happening in schools. And that's for all of us, right? That's we most of us have gone to the same through the same education system in the United States. So we all have to educate ourselves about what really happened here. And once we get to that place of acknowledging that stuff, then we can start getting to where we're like, okay, we have some work to do. Like we we have some education and listening to do in this conversation. Because once you start educating yourself and listening and not looking past this moment, not turning a blind eye to this moment, we start to make some moves and progress. People's lives actually start to change. That's what we see in Be the Bridge. You know, like people start reading the books or start having the discussion groups. And it's like, wow, now that I'm aware of this and I'm choosing to not just let this sit in my mind, like, and, and put it in the back, I'm going to be aware it's at the forefront I'm going to say that this is a problem and I'm going to realize that it's time to do something. And really, I think for white people, the next do something is to start listening and to start educating yourself. And if you're not a reader, there's so many podcasts out there mm-hmm. to listen to, you know, to start to start you on that journey or audio books to start understanding history because history is so important to understand how we got to where we are today in 2020. If you don't know history, it seems like people are just kind of out in the, you know, crying out for nothing. But when you know history, you'll, you'll start to see that a lot of this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Speaking of history, I'm so mad at myself that I haven't listened to the 1619 podcast yet. So good. What is wrong with me? Why have I not listened to that? That's ridiculous. Um, yeah. One of the things you mentioned and you've talked about it in your podcast, uh, a little bit as well is, you know, the whitewashed history and the fact that we actually haven't learned and been taught the truth. And, um, I brought a couple things up to my husband that I learned about in your podcast and he knew of those historical things that happened, but like, I really didn't know much about it. And I said, well, did you learn that in school? And he said, no, I just, I just learned about it on my own, which is great, but I didn't. So I would love to hear you Um, kind of just share with us what that means. And then as you were talking about taking action, my brain was thinking about this. And I was like, well, maybe for some people, action looks like going to your school board, going to the school system and saying like, we need to be teaching that in our history classes. Now that might not Mm -hmm. be something everybody does, but that could be your gift, your area where you speak out. So let's discuss that a little bit. Yeah. So Man, there's so many things when you talk about like taking action in like the next steps and and what does that look like and and where like where do you start in the midst of all these things, right? Cuz like you're saying like there's things that I did not know. Like how did you know that? Um we really have to get to this point to where we find ways to connect whatever works for ourselves, whatever works for your brain. Um with 
the information because it's going to feel like a water hose because, you know, a lot of people have said things like, I feel like I've been lied to. Like, I feel like I've been lied to. And now like I'm having to like deconstruct all this stuff that I was taught and realizing it's not right. And you almost feel like it's like a fire hydrant of information coming your way. And so I encourage people to start somewhere, a, a place that makes sense for them. But um, there's a few podcasts, like you mentioned 1619 already. Um, That's a great one to listen to. Seen on Radio did a podcast called Seeing White. Um, And it's like a podcast series. And it's really good. And I think it really can help um, give people a framework for some some of the things that you might be hearing right now. And to kind of like put the pieces, um, put some of the pieces together. I think it's really important to read and to listen. You know, whether it's like watching like even... um, TED Talks from like credible activists, um, like Brittany Packnett has done some stuff and reading books from like, I mean, even this, like look at your bookshelves. Like, mm-hmm. do you have any African-American authors on your bookshelves? Do you have books by, you know, other people of different ethnicities? Like just ass- like simple assessments like that of taking inventory of your life. Um, I say this a lot on the journey. Like, do a, an inventory of your life. Like do a little diversity audit. Like look at your neighborhood. Look at your your church that you're going to. Look around you. Like what does your life actually look like? And if you're saying to yourself that, wow, my life is pretty insular. Maybe my life is like mostly white people. Then you can also understand how it would be hard to see and understand different perspectives. If everything around you is the same or the people around you think the same or believe the same. And so action looks different for everyone, just like you said. And I think that some people are asking questions like, well, what if I don't want to like go out on the street and protest? Like what are ways that I can get involved? Definitely like you're saying, talking, talking to your school board, being a part, like being an active participant in schools is really important for parents to have a better understanding of what their kids are learning and how to best advocate for their education because there's too easy to be removed um, from what your kids are learning. You have to be really listening, looking at their books, asking critical questions so that way you know what's missing and what to advocate for. The other thing I also suggest is like building relationships with people and not tokenizing people like, hey, let me just talk to my one black friend mm-hmm. um, or like reaching out to that black friend you or, or person you are, you've been associated with, I would say, um, and then trying to ask 50 questions like you really have to be willing to switch up things in your life. Like, am I willing to go to an all black church mm-hmm. or am I willing to go to a church where maybe like I'm not in the majority or um or even if it's just like attending a sports game or going to a different side of the, you know, a different side of town where you are not in the majority, am I willing to put myself in different positions? And I think it's a part of the work, like it's a part of deconstructing is being able to put yourself in different places and spaces with people who don't think like you, look like you, believe like you, asking yourself critical questions about what have I thought about this world? What is what is the what are the um, the assumptions I've made about different groups of people? How am I seeing that play out in my life with my kids, um, the people they interact with? Do they are they around people with different um, skin colors? Like, do I talk to my kids about race in a way that's not where you feel like you know 
okay, we don't see it. Like, do you celebrate other people's colors amongst your children? Like, these are little ways to start tweaking your life. Like, who do you follow on social media? Like, who is filling up your feed? Like, these are all just small, tangible ways to take action and steps and look at your life without feeling like, um, you know, you have to do 50 things right now. These are just small things that you can do right now to take a step towards the right direction, which is to learn and to educate yourself. I love that. I just bought the course the um, about educating your kids. I forget what it's called. Yeah. Do you know what it's called? Um, how to talk to your kids about race, how, why, and when. Yeah, I sort of tried to explain things to my kids about what's happening in the country recently um, because we uh, attended a peaceful protest around our neighborhood. And I don't know that I did it right, you know? And so then I thought, well, I should have watched this webinar before we talked about it. My, my kids are my older two. Those are the two I talked to because my kids are, um, two, four, six and eight, well, five and eight, whatever. Um, so the bigger ones are the ones that I really started talking to about it. And I, and I've wondered, am I doing this right? You know, like it's, it's hard because I think a lot of parents, and this is what I, I've just started the webinar, but this is what I've taken so far from it. I feel like a lot of parents, um, especially probably white parents, don't talk about it and don't bring it up because they're afraid something they say, their kids will take the wrong way or then their kids will say something to someone and it'll come off wrong. But what I learned in this webinar so far is that um, kids are already formulating attitudes and thoughts in their heads regardless of if you talk to them. So I, this is just me calling out to parents like, let's start talking about this. Yeah, I think that's so important because kids observe. They they watch what you do, they watch what you say, and they also watch what you don't say. And so I think that um, I think that it's easy to underestimate um, what kids are ingesting and watching, um, just simply through like your your behavior. And so um, these are great conversations to have. And like, th- there's a lot of simple ways to start um, exposing your kids to different. Um, to different things. So I know the webinar kind of like goes into it a whole lot more, but different books you can read to your kids, ways to start exposing them and, um, in ways to where they're not surprised at seeing people, um, of different ethnicities that they can celebrate those things. And I think, um, we have to get to the point to where talking about race is not taboo. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, that's the point where we're what we are seeing, right? It's this groundswell of we have to have this conversation. And um, I like to say, like, now that you now that you know, like you're held responsible, you can't say you don't know anymore. The whole world knows the whole world is protesting. The whole world is saying this has to change. Everyone is responsible. Everyone is accountable for what they think, what they believe and what um, systems they choose to uphold. If you now know and you willingly choose to uphold systems that oppress other people, then you are complicit. Mm. And I think that we we have to be so blunt and honest because we haven't been. And um, the people who have been, mostly people of color, black people saying this, have been saying it for centuries and nobody's been listening. And so it's a reckoning in this country. Are we going to stay in a state of complicity or are we going to listen to the people who have been speaking, believe them and take action? A lot of this has taught me that I need to reconsider 
every, how I looked at everything. I, I hope a lot of people are feeling that. And I hope a lot of people are feeling that that's okay. It's okay that what you once thought to be true might actually not be true. Yes. Right? Because I don't want to be the kind of person that lives my life where I just stay the same and I don't grow and I don't change and I don't reconsider what people have been telling me, you know? And, um, yes. yeah, it's just, it's just, this is, this is really, um, I'm really thankful that this is happening right now. And I'm thankful for people like you and Latasha. I know you guys are tired. I know everybody's asking you guys a million questions. Um, but I'm thankful that you guys are dedicating your life's work to this. Um, yes. Can we talk a little bit about um, the repentance piece and the reparations and just what that looks like in a racial reconciliation, people that are striving for racial reconciliation? Mm-hmm. Yes. So one thing that I was just um, looking up, because there's some um, there's some quotes that I really enjoy um, from the book. Um, one thing that I want to read it's um, on page 69, actually. It says, when we um, honestly acknowledge and lament the truth of our sins, especially our racial sins, we come face to face with the shame and guilt of our collective past. And dealing with that guilt and shame and really owning it can be a tear-filled, painful process. But if we are going to find freedom, if we're going to build bridges to freedom for others— it's a necessary part of the work and we cannot bypass the weight of our guilt and shame if we attend if we intend to arrive at a true place of reconciliation and injustice and in america we have plenty of con- collective guilt and shame to acknowledge and i think this is something we have to reckon with we have to we have to be at that place of acknowledging. We have to be at that place of sitting in it, right? I think far too often in our society, we just want to move on. Like mm. no one likes pain. No one likes the discomfort of pain and processing pain. And any person that's experienced a level of trauma understands that you have to walk through and feel those feelings in order to get to the other side. And there's a lot of painful p- feelings many people in America are feeling right now. Some people might be feeling overwhelmed and burdened and there's a lot of grief and and re-traumatizing that's happening to people of color specifically black people right now um and i think we have to be able to sit in it we have to sit in the discomfort of wow it's 2020 and as a black person like you know this is still a problem like and it's been a problem and it's constantly a problem and it's exhausting that it's still a problem and and white people have to sit in the in that feeling of we have been a piece of this problem. We have held up these systems. We have, um, we have not spoken up in the way that we should have, and we need to acknowledge that. And I think though that's the way forward. It's giving ourselves time to say, you know what? I am feeling shamed. I am feeling like guilt, but I, I need to sit in this and process it so I can move past this and I can start taking action and I can repent and I can really move to a place of, of start, like of really starting, like you're saying, like re, um, restarting, reforming your habits, re, like changing the way that you think. And it takes that kind of a heart and posture to really see change. And I hope that my hope specifically 
for white people is to come into this conversation and and lean into the discomfort of it. I don't ever want any person, regardless of their ethnicity, to feel ashamed for being white. Like this conversation isn't about you should be ashamed for being white. It's your fault all this is happening. That's not what this global call, right, for addressing racism is about. It's not about anyone feeling ashamed for you can't you can't change the color of your skin just like I can't change the color of my skin, but it's about acknowledging the fact that you know what because you haven't acknowledged or understood or known, you have been complicit, whether you realized it or not. You've been ignorant. But now that you're knowing, now that you realize this is an issue, a broader issue that cannot be brushed over, that people aren't making this up, um, and you're believing it. And I think that's a key word, believing it, because people have been saying this. There have been movies. There's been all kind of things going on. But more people are believing it's a problem. Now take action and don't just sit there and and not do anything. And I think that's kind of what we're saying. We're saying now that you see you've got you have a responsibility. You need to show up and to do something. And so um, one thing that um, is also talked about um, when it comes to um, repentance, I'm gonna find this line because I think it's important um, to kind of to read this, but, um, I think that, I think that one of the things we have to really start looking at when we're talking about repentance is like to repent means to turn away from. And so whether you are like a believer in God or not, like, um, it's really important to l- repent, but also to take action mm-hmm. on page 143, Tasha talks about, um, why confession is important. And she says, confession is important, but true repentance must um, couple words with action. And as bridge builders, it's our job to hold our organizations, our governments, our churches, our places of employment to account. It's our job to call them to a change of direction and to help execute the change in the direction through both words and actions. So when we talk about repentance, it's not just, okay, I'm sorry, like, or I'm sorry, my grand, my, my ancestors were racist. Like, no, it's saying, I'm sorry, I didn't see. I'm sorry that I was complicit. I'm sorry, I participated in a system that was meant to diminish and harm the dignity of other people simply because of the color of their skin. And for a lot of people, they just didn't realize it. But now that I know, I, I have some action to take. I can't just verbally say that I I, I, I want to repent. I now need to call organizations, governments, and churches, and places of employment to account to address the issue of racism in order for this to be a place to where my kids, 10, 15 years down from the line, aren't doing the same thing that I'm doing right now. Yeah. Wow. When I read the book, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, I feel like people, when they read this, like they think, since I wasn't actively involved, why do I need to repent? That is probably an argument you hear a lot. Can you speak on that? Yes. I actually was just, um, there was just something and I just lost my place, but, um, so one thing that it kind of we we've been talking about one thing that we um, I think even talk a lot about on the podcast is it's not about like okay I I didn't actively have 
slaves. So why are people upset at white people, right? I think the one thing that white people don't view themselves as that, that most black people do, because um, I'm going to talk from my my context as a black woman, is that there this America has a culture and it's really the culture of the majority culture, which is white people. And white people see themselves very individualistic and not as a collective. Black people see themselves very collective, which is why there's usually a collective mourning, collective outcry um, when injustice occurs, and collective grief. And there isn't that same thing amongst white people because it's a very individualistic culture. Like my family, my this, my that. If you were to say, What's white culture? When I, when I ask this in my Be the Bridge groups, so I say, what's white culture? Like, what what do you think it is? And they're like, um, well, my family. And that's mm. just the first thing. My family. And it's like, no, like, you all have a culture and we all know it very well. But you don't see it and so you don't know it. And so what white people don't realize is there's a whole white culture that has been set up to benefit white people. And because of that, white people have inadvertently, even if it's down the line, inadvertently benefited from these structures that are made to just help and bolster the wealth of white people. And that there's been a lot of people, black people who've suffered loss at the hands of white people, whether that's been terrorized and driven out of their homes or the Tulsa massacres where there was a thriving black community that was completely wiped out um, and run out of their homes simply because they were a thriving black community and white people didn't like it and their land was taken. And that meant that families built wealth off of stolen land from people that was already stolen from indigenous people. And so it's just, it's just this combination of loss after loss after loss that white people aren't connecting that your ancestors somewhere took something from somebody, from groups of people in order to financially get a leg up and thrive. And other groups of people, black people, indigenous people, other ethnicities were not able to have those same opportunities to thrive. So are all white people just like, is this all white people's fault? Not necessarily, but white people have been a part of building the system and white people need to be a part of tearing it down. And I think that um, it's when we are talking about these systems, we're talking about education, health care. We're talking about, um, you know, with our local government, who is running for office, who's in, you know, who are the people that are making these decisions that are um, really causing things um, for people of color and black communities to be disadvantaged. And so white people have to realize that, you know, think about it in, in terms of which this comes up a lot when it comes to like, when you talk about the police and um, interactions with the police, people say, well, like there's, you know, um, try to deflect and talk about black on black crime and, and things mm -hmm. like that, um, which is like a common deflection. Oh, totally. But the, but the truth is, is that if you have neighborhoods of people that live, you're going to live, if you live in a predominantly black neighborhood, of course, the crime in that neighborhood is going to be with that ethnicity. Same goes for white people. There's a lot of crime amongst white people where, against one another where there's, where they live. And um, the point is, is that the, the rate that the black community is disproportionately affected by um, 
police violence, police brutality, it's not proportionate with the amount of people in this country. Um, and so there's only like 13 to 14 percent of black people in the whole United States. But yet when you look at the statistics for um, the amount of interactions, negative interactions that are documented, that are happening between the police and the black community, it's like over 26 percent. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, okay, there has to be an issue because there's not as many, there's not as many people, but the, but the rate is still so high. And so I think that, you know, we really have to start assessing and asking questions. Like if I, and I ask this to like the people on my social media, if you have never like felt any kind of like fear or had to ask yourself any kind of question, like, am I like, am I scared in this neighborhood or am I afraid for my life? Or, um, Am I am I am I concerned about being harmed by anyone for the color of my skin? Um, then, well, if you if you don't have those feelings and you have a, you have a level of privilege, you have a level of of safety and comfort. Other groups don't. If those questions have never crossed your mind, if you've never thought that that, you know, when the police pulls you over, something might you know happen to you or am I going to am I going to have a negative encounter like then you, you have to see that there's a system set up for you to feel safe. And there's a system that is set up for other people, black people, to not feel safe. And there's a history of why that exists. And I think that white people have to start ingesting this um, painful truth, which is that things have been set up for you to win and to thrive and for other groups of people to not thrive specifically black people, indigenous groups um, of people who, uh, who really like it's their land we're all on mm-hmm. and um, and have not honored. And I think that we have to have these hard conversations. So no, you didn't do it. And because you didn't do it and you're adamant about the fact that you didn't do it, then be a part of fixing it. Mm. I'm so glad you brought all that up that you just said, because I had questions in my mind surrounding those topics You know how you brought up the black on black crime and how people bring that into the conversation when that's really not a part of what we're specifically talking about. You talked about it so well. Um, You guys go listen to Faith's podcast, Melanated Faith, where um, you're going to have to remind me of the title of that again, that episode. Oh, Can I Live? Can I Live? You and Catherine talk about that so well and you opened my eyes to so many things when I heard that. And so... Um, I'm so glad that you brought that up for everybody to hear because I think that's a really important piece of this story. And um, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, yeah. Let's let's talk about reconciliation and restoration and um, how that can look once we've walked through. Don't forget, everybody, we have to walk through the other steps. We have to go through all these feelings and and educate ourselves, but. There is some reconciliation and restoration, and this is what we hope for. So can we talk about that a little bit? Yes. I am going to find this quote from the book um, about reconciliation that I really like, um, that I think kind of like helps kind of bring this home for people when they're kind of asking themselves like, okay, I mean, what, what does this look like? What can this, what can this look like? Um, I think the best way, um, the best way to say this and to talk about this is that to know that this is not a one and done thing. This is this is a you're committing to a lifelong 
journey of learning, a lifelong journey of of dis, dismantling white supremacy within yourself. This doesn't just end. You don't just read a few books and then it and then you're it's done. Um, and so I think to to keep that at the forefront is important. Um, but one thing that it says in the book on page one eighty six is the ultimate goal of our um, be the bridge communities is to bring racial reconciliation, which requires us to move through the built, bridge building steps of acknowledging the past, lamenting it, confronting the shame and guilt, confessing our collective sin, extending forgiveness and committing to repentance, making reparations and ultimately moving into complete restoration. Um, really like these are the steps we're talking about. Like this is what we're talking. You have to move from these places Um move from a place really of denial into a place of acknowledgement in order to get like to really get through to this, which is a lot of what you're saying, um, Lindsay, and a lot of what I think people, people are also starting to kind of like come to, um, come to this reckoning. I would say, I feel like it feels like a reckoning. So I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, um, a reckoning. But when we talk about reconciling, start to think of like, what does it mean? Kind of, for example, like yesterday with the share the mic now, um, what does it look like for us to start to share platforms, to share the mic, to give up space, to, to share your voice, to, to step down, just like kind of like Serena Williams, um, husband, Alex, he stepped down from his place on the board at Reddit. Like, what does it look like to give up positions of power like what does that look like and so the one thing that on page 177 is also a really good thing to reflect on is the aim of reconciliation whether it's um, marital or racial is the restore restoration of a relationship and it's not just about individual relationships it's about healing communal relationships and societal connections fractured by government abuse systems of oppression and structural privilege The road to reconciliation is long, it's winding, it's filled with bumps and potholes. So many people grow frustrated as they pause um, the process of healing and broken relationships, as they pursue the process of healing broken relationships. Frustrated that the perpetrators won't admit their wrongs. Frustrated that those offended won't extend forgiveness. And as a result, many give up before they ever reach the ultimate goal of the bridge builder. A full and complete total relational restoration. That's the goal. But when everyone commits to the process, amazing things can happen. Through restoring proper equitable relationships, we begin to build together. That's the point. We want to like reconciliation, getting to that point. Like it's about getting to a place where we are having equitable relationships. Mm. Like if there's anything you heard from that quote, it's really getting to that place to where we can as bridge builders commit to that. And I think that relational restoration is something we're starting to see happen bit by bit, but I see it in, in the friends and the people who are committed to learning who are committed to acknowledging and who are not posting on social media um, these counter narratives or things that discount or deny my experience as a black woman, especially when the people who are the experts on their experience are the ones who have lived it. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, 
we have to continue to listen to black voices, black leaders, black activists who have been in this space, who have been leading and educating themselves and educating others. And I think it's so important to do that. And it's and it's beyond it's beyond just saying, oh, I talked to one of my black friends and they told me that they're fine and they don't understand this. And um, I, I think this is being blown out of proportion. No, this is listen to the collective cry. There's mm-hmm. so many people crying out about this and you can't use the voices of two or three that agree with you to drown out the groundswell of cries of people who are saying this is not right and we must fix it. And if we love people truly, we want people to be treated with respect and dignity. It's so true. I've seen people doing that, polling like the three black people that they know, you know, and saying, yeah. well, they're saying this and that's that's just it's not right. Can you tell us if someone's interested in being a part of Be The Bridge? First of all, go to the website, everybody. Um, but what does being in a Be The Bridge group look like? No, yeah, that's a great question. We actually have had so many different inquiries. I'm also going to like send this to you. We have created kind of like a um, a blog where we tell people the best way to get connected with us and how to do that um, because we have so many people who are really excited to jump in, which is really great. We're so thrilled. And I think that um, – one of the ways the group functions is that you, um, we have a guide and in our guide, it kind of walks you through a lot of those steps that I just was reading to you from Latasha's book. And it really prompts discussion, prompts you to think about, um, a lot of what we're dealing with when it comes to race in this country, but then it's very personal, like sparking personal discussions. And it's meant to be a discussion with a diverse group of people. So, Uh, You know, you definitely don't want to have the conversation with only white people with the discussion guide because the questions are meant for people to build relationship and to hear a different set of perspectives and lenses and and shared experiences, things you've never heard people talk about before. And it's also about relationship building. So the groups that I've been a part of and led I have gone through the the guide pretty slow just because we've also wanted to become friends like and Mm -hmm. actually have live life together. So come over for dinner or let's discuss this or um, let's discuss this part of the guide, but then let's also talk about what's going on in our personal lives. Like let's actually get to know each other. And so the goal is to come out of a group with actual tangible like knowledge and relationships and a richness that you did not have before and that now you have. And I think um the discussion really starts to make people think and there's homework and and books to read and all of these things. And so if you're in a community and let's say you're saying I am with all white people and I don't know where to start, I would encourage people to buy our um, Be the Bridge 101 guide. And it specifically kind of helps to walk white people through some of these like initial questions that might come up or that, you know, um, somebody might have. And the other thing is also, um, Just what I was reading from the Be The Bridge book, the Be The Bridge book actually has discussion questions too. And so um, usually like as of right now, it's sold out everywhere, but we should be able to see it (laughs) hopefully um, not sold out everywhere soon. And um, we had, they have a big shipment um, that's going to be sent out. So the book, I recommend it highly because you can read it with your friends. You can do a book club, which so many people are doing and um, starting to have these these conversations. And so I think that um, I think starting to facilitate these are so important. And I 
do we always encourage people if you do want to lead a group to do it with a person of color and not to just do it um, with just co-leading just white people um, because you really need the leadership of a person of color in, in your group. And I think that um, having these conversations are so, so important. But if you find yourself in a community where it's not diverse or you haven't yet formed friendships with other people of different ethnicities, grab the book. Read BTB 101. We have a whole private Facebook group with um, so much like resources and and learning units for people to kind of walk through and help you on this journey. And so that way you're not alone in your learning process. And we have a whole team dedicated to helping you do that. And I think um, those are some really great ways to get started with Be The Bridge. We try to make it as easy as possible for people um, to get plugged in and get started. Yeah, they offer so many great courses, and I hope that people listening will check it out. I just want to acknowledge that I know that you're super busy right now, and I thank you for your time to do this. I know this is your life's work, and this is important to you, but I also know that an hour-long podcast conversation is a really um, good chunk of your time, so thank you. Sure. Let's this wrap- has been fun. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you for a very long time, but let's wrap up with um, some end of the podcast questions. I'm going to do a hybrid of the questions because I ask different questions and I'll have another that I do on the Illuminate podcast. But since this is going out to both, I think we should do a little bit of both. So Faith, what is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you have not done yet? Write a book. Do you know that what? Would be, that would be it. Do you know what kind of book? Um, I have an idea. I've had a book proposal sitting in my computer for two years now. Um, have I fully fleshed it out? No, I have not. I feel like it kind of changes, but, um, but I know that it would want to be, I would want to include combinations about race somewhere in whatever I write. Um, yeah, that's about, that's about as far as I'm like, I think my head is at (laughs) probably at this point. Um, but I know it'll probably be something like a combination of my life's experiences and, um, kind of how it's gotten me to this point and how I've been able to navigate the world as a black woman. You know, when I was watching one of your Instagram lives and it was when you were standing in front of the crowd and, um, at one of the protests and, in the post, you said, uh, I was meant to do this. Like I was made to speak in front of these crowds. And I, I felt like I was watching you like, like taking off. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. What is this going to look like for you in five years? And I felt like I was witnessing you like plunging in to this career that like, what is this going to look like in five years? And it felt exciting to me as a watcher, as a viewer. So I'm sure you're kind of feeling those things in your own heart. Yeah, it's been kind of wild. Um, It has felt like kind of like a deep plunge. Um, And I've had other friends and people um, that aren't even that I don't even know say pretty much the same thing that you said. And so um, it's kind of just been like, you know, I am I'm here. And I've always just been ready and willing for whatever comes whenever that time is. And it just I didn't realize it would be now. But Mm -hmm. um, but here we are. And and I feel um, energized and excited that I get to do this work. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, what's an accomplishment you're most proud of? An accomplishment that I am the most proud of. I got my master's degree Mm. in social work, and I was the kind of person who never thought I'd go to college. So 
um, the fact that I did that was a huge accomplishment for me. That's huge. Who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring that you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? I am going to say my grandfather because I have not seen him in several months. Um, And he is just one of my closest people to me, and I miss him. Who's someone in your personal life or someone you're following online who you feel is a light to the world that you'd like our listeners to go follow? Oh, my goodness. I would say there's so many people following her, but I think everybody should follow her. Um, her name on social media is Oh Happy Danny, and um, she's a personal friend of mine, and I love her so much. And her art has such a great way of communicating to people to help give you kind of like an idea of where to get started. And so I encourage people to follow her because it's an easy, easy way to get connected to this work. Okay, and I'm going to pull this from your podcast. Um well, first, what's your favorite Beyonce song? Oh, my favorite Beyonce song. Um, probably, hmm, I'm going to say Who Run the World. Okay. Because, you know, I listened, I was listening or, to the Beyonce episode with you and Catherine. Yeah. I think you said Diva on that one, though. You've I cha- might have. I think I changed it. I, I vacillate between the two. Anything that's about women's empowerment and leading and running anything, I love. But... Diva on now the mixture of Diva on um, Homecoming. Okay. That album, because it's a very special mashup, is the one that I love. Okay. Good to know. I love it. Uh, one of the things you posted recently is that you're choosing joy right now. So I want to know what brings you joy. I would say my family. I'm really close to my family. And so, um, just being able to laugh with them and have fun with them and, you know, FaceTime my brother so I can get to see my nieces and nephews. Um, that just like, it brings me so much joy to have such a great support system during this time um, when it's easy to put your head in the sand. So um, that has been so life-giving for me. Okay, last question from your podcast, and then we're going to end with our message to the world. So you and Catherine do a what are you loving right now and what's a mess right now? So what are you loving, Faith, and what is a mess? I am loving this show on HBO. It's one of my favorite shows. It's called Insecure. And um, it is like, and it's so fun because I talked to my other black friends that we've all been like, this is our escape, our treat to ourselves of like black culture and goodness. And so I'm loving that right now. And then the thing that is a mess, well, there's a lot of things that are a mess right now, to be honest. But um, I would just say, I I feel like something that's a mess is just all the people that are coming up with it's getting more and more interesting, um, creative ways to, um, to basically say that our call for justice, um, is, is misplaced. And I think that that is a mess right now because there is no misplacing in the call, um, for trying to tear down systems of oppression and for saying that racism needs to end. So the fact that people are coming up with a whole bunch of other counter arguments is that's a mess. That is a mess. Okay, Faith, what's your one message to send to the world? My message to send to the world is to, I think it's so important to walk in humility and to remain teachable. We all do not, we do not know everything. 
And it's okay to say that we don't. And it's okay to repent and to try to do better. So y'all, my the, if you hear nothing else that I've said, do better. We all can do better. And that's what we should strive for. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Faith, for taking the time to share with our listeners. We appreciate you so very much. Don't forget to find Faith on Instagram, friends. She's Faith B over there, and that's Faith with two T's. You can find us on Instagram. We're the Illuminate Podcast over there. And you can find us on Twitter, Illuminate underscore pod. And we have a Facebook page as well. We'd love to hear from you. And we appreciate you being here so much. Please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes so that more people can find important conversations like this conversation with faith. Thank you all so much for being here. And we will see you next Wednesday on the Illuminate podcast.